0: which is something very pertinent to the current climate. Um, And he's joining us from Canada. So more strikingly, he integrates the core virtues of Stoicism, among other philosophies, into our everyday lives and ever-changing landscapes. And he does this through his online platform, The Stoa, which James just mentioned, where people can convene and explore ways to not just stay afloat, but also stay anchored during times of uncertainty. So Peter, lovely to have you join us and please take us through your painted porch.
1: (laughs) It's good to be here. Uh, Thank you Sim, thank you James, thank you everyone. Um, Yeah, is there something you'd like me to riff on or speak to?
2: I'd be interested in what has been your intellectual journey thus far. Um, your personal kind of trajectory in life how did you go down so deep down the rabbit hole um, to discover all of the amazing people you bring onto the store and yeah where you're at that would be a great start
1: it's interesting when I'm gonna take these headphones out. When people ask me um, this question, it always comes out differently, slightly different, um, based off the kind of people I'm talking to. So just feeling out how it wants to come out. Um, and just to preface, I'm always sort of like, it's like, wow, people want to talk to uh, talk to me, you want to listen to me talk about myself. <laughs> it's just like a like weird thing uh, to be happening. Um, So, yeah, intellectual journey, Hmm. I guess uh, started when I was a university student uh, at the University of Toronto, took philosophy, uh, didn't know why I was even in university in the first place. I'm like, hey, might as well take philosophy and try to figure it out um and then that was <laughs> like you take the philosophy pill and watch out it's like a series of existential uh, crisis after another um but it was good that uh I guess it was a workout for my mind to prepare what is to come um for all of us really and uh I got into some normie work after that because I thought okay shit I gotta get a real job and went into kind of uh uh the training industry, the educational industry, human resources, all that type of stuff. And I was there for almost 10 years. And during that kind of, um, like kind of, I guess, career path, it was very, like I was, my soul was suffocating in a way. Um, And I had an itch to get back in the philosophical scene. So I started these meetup groups in Toronto, something similar to, I imagine, what you were doing, James, in London. Um, and I started the Stoicism group, which, because um, I was sort of a practicing Stoic, uh, and that just kind of became like the not only the largest Stoic group in Toronto, but the largest Stoic group in the world. So I'm like, oh, okay, there's there's something here with this experience design and event design thing. And the funny thing about the the Stoicism uh, group in Toronto is like we barely talked about Stoicism, which I which I always found delicious. Um, but then, you know, there's still the kind of since it was a stoicism frame, a kind of constraint, what I what I got to talk about. So I created this other group was sort of like a performative agnostic group exploring all these different ideas, um, which was called Intellectual Explorers Club at the time, which actually led to a podcast. Um, and it was it was cool like having those two groups like being the, like the center of stoicism and sort of the world and then being kind of like the center of this intellectual scene in toronto um felt pretty awesome uh, it was a pain in the butt kind of i imagine as james could uh, appreciate pain in the butt finding a physical location with all these sort of groups so i wanted to open up a coffee shop in toronto call it the stoa which was quite delicious for me because that's where the stoics got their name they hung out at the painted porch the Stoa okayly um, so I thought, well, wouldn't that be cool? Have a, a philosophical coffee shop called the STOA. It's this like, you know, third wave hipster cafe, but then it's like the moonlights as a philosophical event space. So I was thinking about that seriously. And then, Stoa, uh, and then COVID came online and then obviously everything stopped. And, um, and so I kind of combined like all these interests of my podcast, I couldn't meet in person with the meetup groups. I had this podcast, which I was really kind of inspired with. And I had this kind of idea of the opening of the STOA. So I just kind of merged them all together and created this event space, this sort of digital third space called the STOA. It was like a communal podcast, but then we also had Wisdom Gym. It was all this cool stuff happening. And I was going through sort of an existential crisis, getting untethered from reality, which perhaps we can talk about. And it was just this mad creative rush of creation. And then, yeah, it must be like 500 events since it started now over a year. Its birthday was, um, what was it, March 28th or 21st or something like that. That was his one year anniversary. And uh, yeah, and now we're here at the sandbox. <laughs> I probably can add more details or whatever, but that's sort of trajectory.
2: You were. I heard that you were doing it all just to end up on the sandbox eventually in some that's weird nice. time zone. <laughs> <laughs> um, but so at this point, um, I'm going to ask Peter a couple more questions, but If either of you are in the room who are curious about Peter or the themes he's brought up, if you could just leave an exclamation mark in the chat box and then um, you get your chance to speak. We'll get you up in the morning to do another event and then another event and then another event. Um... To write another email, like, do you, do you think you've got a grasp on what it is that keeps you going? And do you think you could do another 500 episodes?
1: Yeah, <laughs> I think I can. <laughs> but it's like, uh, I don't look at it through that that framing though, like, oh, I gotta do another event or, or, or I have this metric of doing events um, or even for my journals and the journal entry like that was sort of a thing um, i started journaling to my i journal to myself um, for years and i just kind of delete the journals afterward uh, but then i started doing them publicly It kind of came out of the closet of being a stoic in the noosphere the internet and so the same time with the stoa started and all these events started happening i started journaling to myself in a public way it's part of the i used to do on the letter platform and then on the substack um and there's maybe 200 300 journal entries uh um so yeah there's a lot of kind of uh events and journal entries and i don't know i was just talking to my that editor who person helps edit my journals i just i just can't stop writing you know i just the words just come out and i just love it and um with the events i only do events that excite me you know like and there's that kind of that that felt sense, like kind of thing like off, like uh, like when someone tries to pressure them or someone tries to come on the STOA, uh, there's a lot of people that want to come on. I say yes to some, I say no to others. And then there's that kind of like when they're that gray area where it's like, mm, it doesn't really feel right this event, like doesn't excite me. And there's a lot of admin work and stuff that goes behind it. And if it doesn't excite me, I just say no. Uh, and I don't even have reasons it's just kind of like this is why I overuse this term the daimon or the daemon (laughs) the daemon's not telling me to do it and that's sort of like this creative kind of energy which uh, we can talk about but yeah so I just love writing uh, and and it's really helpful and it also it kind of feels cool because that's a stoic practice Marcus Aurelius wrote to himself in his journals his meditation that famous book wasn't intended to be released as a journal publicly. It was just for him to ground himself in his philosophy. And I view the same thing with my journals as sort of like grounding myself in my philosophy, but more importantly, grounding myself in the spirit of truth. Mapping my words to what feels most true. Um, and you can do that with writing. You can do that speaking, like uh, uh, I'm doing right now. Um, so yeah, I just have this desire to write, and then desire to do events that I think are, are fucking cool. And if it stops, then I'll probably stop.
3: yeah so sorry the first thing uh peter i, I do have a question i thought it was amusing the first question uh asked you about what you first do when you get up in the morning i know Mark aurelius in in meditation i think it's the beginning of his sixth book he talks about getting up in the morning but my question <laughs> is you said there's a group there's a group in toronto and you sort of said do it you all self-identify as, as like stoics and i've been very interested in so philosophy I've read Seneca, Marcus Aurelius, Epictetus and I've always thought like when reading it there's like there's a real like subculture coming lots of people very interested in stoicism where do you think the line goes from it being a philosophy to almost like a religion if you know what I mean I know in a sense that of course there's no deity or any aspect like that but do, do you see what I mean like do do you think there's a the line is clear-cut between religion and, and philosophy or, or when someone says they're a stoic what do you think they're really saying?
1: Yeah that's a good question uh, between uh, where the line between philosophy and religion happens um, you know I wish I had a more sophisticated answer to make me sound super smart but I, I don't um, but you know one of my influences Pierre Hadot uh, he wrote about philosophy as a way of life um, and that's what the Stoics or the original Stoics were supposed to be doing. Uh, The modern Stoics, you know, like the people who are talking about Stoicism, I don't know if they even view it as a philosophy or they, they, a lot of them do, but um, do they live it as a philosophy, as a way of life? That's a different thing. Or they're just giving sort of like lip service to Stoic ideas. Um, And the cool thing about Stoicism, I think draws a lot of people to it, um, myself included is that it's one of the the rare philosophies that it's like once you engage with it, you either have to act it out or you don't. Um, and uh, I remember I, I mentioned I was a philosophy major at the University of Toronto uh, when I was uh, back in my student days, and they never talked about Stoicism. There's no course on Stoicism, just sort of maybe like a dry hi- historical kind of um, lectures on it in like an ancient philosophy class and then the brief mention in Philosophy 101. But just sort of like, kind of like, the philosophies that I gravitated towards in my undergrad career was sort of like existentialism because it had a practical component and stoicism. Um, All the other stuff was like, was cool, like the analytical philosophy and all that stuff. uh, And it helped kind of refine my thinking, but it just felt really disembodied. Um, And so, yeah, I don't don't have an answer, a good answer to your question, but I know uh, stoicism, if you engage with it seriously, it demands you use it.
2: I'm up next in the questions. Um, so you play, you play a lot with um, using the term being a, sto- a stoic, um, and you just mentioned that it's something that you think it should be used instead of like put up on a, on a mantle and forgotten about or overly intellectualized. What other tools do you use in your toolbox to, I guess, help you get through the dark patch that you mentioned, um, which you could go into a bit more if you wanted, or something to just like tune you up, like a tuning fork? What are some of the tools that Peter Lindbergh uses um, or some of the tools you're interested, like right now, what are you researching or reading um that might be two questions, but feel free to pick whichever is alive for you.
1: Yeah. I think I forgot how to answer questions straight in a straightforward manner. So I'm just gonna like speak whatever whatever comes out. Um yeah, I don't even like uh being um like called a stoic in a way. It's sort of like kind of like PR that I hold on to uh lightly. Um and I don't even know if you press me at it. Am I really a Stoic? Like I don't know. Uh, I don't really care. Um, but uh, there is something about um, kind of grounding yourself in virtue, how they hold virtue, like the the four cardinal uh, virtues, prudence, practical reasoning. Um, and then being courageous, then being, having temperance, then, you know, justice, something about that, like, that is the first and foremost thing, and then you'll be living in accordance with nature, or being in right relationship with reality, I think that's, that's that's super cool, Um, and what Epictetus said, it's like, you, you know, don't explain your philosophy, embody it, and before you can uh, embody your uh, philosophy, you have to Know how to be embodied in the first place and so uh, perhaps um, gesturing towards an answer uh, James is I'm interested in embodiment practices um, somatic type practices things that just don't engage the mind but engage the heart engage the, the, uh, the emotions engage your body um, and then having them be in right relationship with one another and I don't have a set of what John Reiki calls an ecology of practices that I rely on besides like journaling you know uh, working out and kind of like in just engaging in the felt senses, uh, but it's something that the STOA is in service towards discovering, um, just engaging in all these different kind of life practices or psychotechnologies. And I, I guess there's like, maybe I'll get a little jazzy. Um, you know, there's just actually I won't, I won't, not yet. Um
4: uh-huh.
3: Sorry, I was going to get a drink, but I'll, I'll go ask a question first. Um, okay, that's reasonable. And, and my my question was trying to specifically about the storm. Also, you sort of said you would only really do a, a talk or a, you know video podcast, whatever it may be, if it truly interests you, which is obviously logical. But I'm kind of curious, what do you what, for you what in general is considered interesting, like? Do you have a paradigm of like this would be an interesting type of topic, X, Y, and Z, or is it just by the by? Or maybe more succinctly, is there a favorite one you've had? So I can get an idea of to you what was interesting and what do you think engages the audience as well?
1: I don't know. Um, so I imagine if you look through the archives of the Stoa, there's some kind of uh, like multiple through lines that emerge like, uh, you know, obviously that kind of like culture war, understanding the culture war from a meta perspective, um, getting good at intersubjective, uh, practices, uh, social skills, like what they call communitas. That's, a, that's a definitely a through line. Um, what else? Like the kind of meta crisis, all the existential risks that we face, that's definitely an interest space. So I imagine you can kind of like, if you look at it, you can kind of like map it a little bit. Um, and there's things that I'm interested in that I'd like to eventually gauge in like kind of scientific literacy, <laughs> something like we're going into a little bit more woo side of things, which is cool. I do have a, I like being a woo or not or woo not or whatever you want to label it. But, um, you know, I, I want to gauge more and kind of like just hard sciences and scientific literacy and, and just good reasoning and shit like that. Um, and then there's that, that, you know, the meta modern game B kind of those, those kind of the edge, edge of, uh, a lot of, uh, I would say the collective consciousness right now, um, but there's like you know it's it's kind of a random place too. It's like we have a, an event with on um, being a man, and then we have an event on black feminism, and then we have this uh, existential hope event, and it's sort of like you know I'm kind of interested to all in all those in a gr- degree, and I don't kind of like consciously seek it out. It's just someone suggests it, or I just bump it in a Google search, and it just kind of like there's just weird happenstance that happens, and it feels right, and I just kind of like you know I'm not like like, there's no cognitive machinations. It's, I'm not engineering the kind of the space. It's sort of just feeling into what feels most alive, and then it, it happens. It's like case in point. We had Daniel Ingram on. He's just kind of like I don't know if you know him. He, he writes this book. He's a Buddhist guy. He writes about awakening and stuff. And someone in the chat says, "Hey, do you know this Frank Yang guy?" And then uh, private chats to me. And then Frank Yang. He's just I don't. Know if, I don't know if you know him, but he has this popular YouTube channel. He was like this bodybuilder that like chronicled his bodybuilding career on YouTube in a very kind of weird, artistic, provocative way. And then uh, he uh, chronicled his uh, awakening journey following Daniel Ingram's kind of method. And he became awakened, uh, or at least he claims he became awakened. Uh, and he and he tracked it all. And I'm like, and it's like it's weird artistic, I'm like, who is this guy? This guy's amazing. And I invited him on the STOA. We hit it off. And then he had a conversation with his mentor on the STOA, Daniel Ingram. And it was an amazing session. And I'm like, yeah, chef's kiss, you know, like I didn't plan any of that shit. It just, just happened. Uh, but it felt right. And then that's basically (laughs) since day one, if you asked me, like, I'd be here a year later with all this weird events, 500 plus events, I I wouldn't have not guessed it, but you know, here we are. So the modus operandi is not like, um, something that I'm kind of like aware of let's just put it that way it's more following a sort of uh um more I don't want to use spiritual impulse but sort of more intuitive sense which I which I'm calling like listening to the, the daemon or the diamond.
2: that was beautiful um I don't know if you started the jazzy yet or that was like a preamble to the jazzy jazziness but
1: you'll have to let me know <laughs> I don't even know it's jazzy anymore
2: um so I think we can let's delve a bit deeper into something that's really important that I've heard you mention a lot is your intuition and tuning your sensitivity to what feels right and what doesn't feel right and that's going to be personal to every individual based on their history um, their personal tra- trajectory but is there How, how have you tuned that intuition for yourself? Or if you feel you haven't tuned it, that's fair as well. But do you feel like you could locate, you could locate where in your body or where in your sensations that something tells you to make this decision or not make this decision? Um, I'm curious in that. I'm curious in how people can develop that more. I know there's psychosomatic trainings and practices but I think we all have the capacity within us to tune our intuition. And I'm curious of, also it doesn't have to just be Peter Lindbergh, like everyone in the room. If you have tools, just drop an exclamation mark and we'd love to hear from like, how do you tune your intuition? But it would be great if Peter went first.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I can can prime the room. So one of, one of my, my, my friends, uh, John Ravakey, who talks about awakening from the meaning crisis, um, you know, he has a really cool uh, distinction of like the four Ps of knowing. I don't know, I don't know if you, you've heard this, but it's like, just to kind of recap it for those who might have not heard it. It's, um, so there's like propositional knowing, sort of like kind of like the truth, you know. Uh, then there's procedural knowing. It's like kind of how, how to go about doing something like the steps to go about it. And then there's perspectival knowing. It's sort of like kind of uh, the, you know, your perspective of this, uh, the, the phenomenology of it, of, you know, your experience. And then the participatory knowing is just sort of like kind of being in that flow state in it. And those are all kind of different types of knowing. And to kind of like, when you ask that question, James, I can kind of filter it through different lenses of knowing. So we can talk about this kind of intuition in the propositional sense which I wish I'll start with. And then the procedural sense is like, Hmm, I fucking stumbled on a lot of this stuff. It's very bespoke. So I haven't really th- figured out how to teach it uh, or kind of like, and I imagine there might be multiple ways towards it. Um, so that's why it's, uh, it's good to open up the room and get everyone's kind of thoughts on this. Um, and then uh, I can obviously speak on the uh, uh, perspectival sort of like how, like it feels like for me and how I experience it, which is what you also asked about. So kind of just thinking about this and maybe in the propositional lens for, for a moment, the this idea of uh, the, the daemon or the daimon, which I originally got from like a Herman Hesse. Is that Herman Hesse book even here? Yes, near here somewhere. Um, Damien, the Herman Hesse book, Damien, they talked about the, the daimon. That was like the book that kind of changed my life really. I almost read it like, you know, I, it's a book that I read the most in my life too. I keep being drawn to it. And um, I think they talked about the, uh, you know, daimon and stuff like that in it. And then I'm like, then realized Socrates, you know, he had a daimon. His his told him what not to do though, apparently. Um, and so I was aware of this kind of concept. And that, that woman who wrote Eat, Pray, Love did a really excellent TED Talk on the daimon the daimon, which I recommend watching. Uh, and I was also saying no to it. And then this whole, you know. Eudaimonia, that's, that's a lot of modernists translate to like happiness, which really means like in right relationship with one's daimon or daimon. Um, so there's a kind of historical significance. And then the ancients had different lenses and looked at it. The Stoics, I don't think talk too much about it. So I'm sort of like a weird Stoic in this sense. Um, but anyways, so like I took that term and maybe kind of like sinking down to the perspectival, I took that turn and kind of describe a certain like intuition that I often feel it's sort of like this, and I'm not, I can't be too sophisticated in describing how it's like allocated my body, but it's somewhere kind of in this, this general area. And there's like a pointedness. It says like, go here. And then it's just like a download of an idea that's actionable. And it's like, go here. And there's no kind of explanation really about like, okay, if you go there, so it's like, it was gold there. I'm going to get like rewarded or whatever. It just like, go there and fuck it. Like, and see what happens. And there's like a delicious quality of adventure when I actually listen to it. And then usually like quote unquote good things happen. Um, And all my kind of creative projects throughout my life had that energy, right? And so it's like, okay, something's happening here. And then when kind of fear came online or like when I try to control it or you know, I try to like make money out of it or bastardize it too quickly, then it's like, it just disappeared. Like I broke up with that that energy. I broke up with my Daimon. And so that really helped build that discernment kind of like breaking up with it. It's like okay, where would it go? Uh, and then, so just kind of feeling into it and how I hold myself and having certain behaviors and how I frame things, um, really allows this energy to just flow. And it's not always flowing now, but it's here more often than it's ever been in my life. Um, and and maybe kind of just going to the procedure a little bit for me, uh, you know, the Stoics, prudence, number one virtue, practical reasoning, and And I think one of the things about reasoning to be good, good at reasoning is to put reasoning in its place. (laughs) So then you get to start listening to something else. Um, It's not just kind of like throw reasoning out, you know, out of the, you know, out the window or something. It's like, be good at reasoning, but just know the limits of your own reasoning, you know, that we're bounded by rationality. And so, okay, there's times when there's great uncertainty, when we're living in great unknowingness to, to just put reason in its place and start listening to something else and trusting that. Uh, in a way that is wise and you know safe and all that type of stuff because you can be a dysdemonic too like just listen to this energy and kind of go crazy and there's like there's uh, books and literature on that as well so yeah it's like being right uh, relationship with this sort of intuitive knowingness um, and listening to it sometimes listening to it not listening to it other times Um, so that's how I hold and understand it and I'm learning uh, about it with this project openly in my journal, and people I'm talking to in my kind of coaching practice, and then just in conversations like this.
0: I think that's wonderful. Um, a lot of it, a lot of what you said resonated quite a lot with me. Um, also because I am a very strong proponent of cultivating your intuition. And the point you said about relying on you know like going somewhere and just knowing okay this is telling me to go there spoke to me in in terms of this idea of creating a living relationship with the world and I say that deliberately as opposed to saying creating a relationship with the living world because we often assume the relationship is between living people we forget that spaces talk to you inanimate things that we think are inanimate actually talk to you and I've been trying to do something similar where I try not to use maps. It does make me late to a lot of meetings with friends, but that's my excuse that I'm cultivating my intuition. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I just, you know, for me, and I think that's a wonderful question, James, because we forget, it's a wonderful thing to explore, right, because the, the beautiful thing about enhancing or cultivating your intuition is that it's all there it's all inside right that's the point you're trying to get it from inside you're not trying to get something outside yourself Um, but I've always been curious in terms of is there a reason why we focus more on the external world and why somehow in in a few things we feel like okay it's it's more about practical ways or or systematic ways of approaching things a process-oriented way as opposed to letting your intuition come in And I was wondering if anyone has had instances where intuition's not worked in your favor.
2: My personal take on this um, is the measurable, like what can be measured and not measured And I think a lot of the intuitive, non-measurable aspects we're talking about is scary because people can have drastically different experiences of the same thing, of the same room sometimes. And there is less of a way for people to coordinate up with each other. And I think that's why our world is mainly based on the propositional um, aspect of, um, of knowing currently. Um, using the John Favreau kind of four Ps aspect, I've I've personally <laughs> followed the Daemon in the last month or two, um, or it could be the dismonic this Daemon or whatever, and it's led me down a dangerous path because I'm not coordinated up with. The world and my friends and relationship around me so I'm making I'm making a decision but others can't understand why I'm making that decision and that at times can create like um, a friction between you and whoever you're in a relationship with whether family friends so I think that's the dark side of listening to your intuition but I think I think Peter did say that there is times where you can listen to it and not listen to it. And maybe that's another layer to the intuition, right? So it's like listening to it and then deciding, am I going to take the advice or am I going to follow this impulse at this moment or not? Um, And I think the physical world or relationships can be a feedback to that. So let's say at a time you took that decision and then the feedback from people you love is that, they felt more disconnected from you then perhaps that's not the direction you want to take and I think it is trial and error I don't know if there is a like a a perfect model that you can just hand over to someone um but I think it's probably one of the most important muscles to train in our day and age from what I am from what from, yeah, from the challenges we face, I think it is about tuning our intuition and then coordinating with other people who have been able to tune their intuition in a way and see how they can coordinate as, as a whole and create coherence, as some people would say. Um, so I'm, I'm curious to, to get a, a perspective on where Felix is at. I know you joined late in this in in this, but I know this is your realm, so I'm curious to hear what you have to share, as as little or as much as you'd like. Well, I, I just um, thanks, James.
4: It's on the. I think it's very difficult to conclude the outcome of anything. Um, in that, so it's like trying trying to measure the. I don't know. How a de- how a decision has is is affecting you, or how you view a decision. I think is is often um, quite changeable, and certainly over time, um, it feels like the way that just personally I'll view previous decisions will change quite a lot. In a way, it's it's always quite fluid. It feels to me, um, yeah, and more just to. I suppose rather than um, assessing whether a decision that's been made was, you know, like good or bad is I think more just um, for me, for myself, I found that it's a lot more satisfying taking a sense of responsibility over it rather than um, like feeling guilty or pride, proud of something. It's more just to accept that as something that's that you've done. If that if that makes sense,
2: yeah, that makes sense. Um, we've got we've got a question in the chat box, and I'm wondering if Sim would like to read it out on behalf of Ez, who doesn't ahead, have a it. camera. And then oh, sure, 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 go for it. Sorry.
1: Yeah, there's um, yeah, there a few uh, and I was reading the comment in the chat too. I'd like to get to it. Uh, there's this book put in the chat: uh, anger, madness, and Daimonic. Uh, which is about kind of like how the daimon could like listening to it could lead to madness. Uh, and it has for me um, before, and my, my kind of theory was that the listening to the, the daimon could lead you to demons in a way. Uh, and, um, and this is why I think virtue is important because the, the Stoics viewed like, you know, virtue equals eudaimonia. Uh, the more virtuous you are, the more in right relationship with the daemon you are. And this is why I think we need friends of virtue, what Aristotle calls friendships of virtue. So people have our, our eye on us uh, and keep us uh, in check and accountable. Because um, I know when it's like there's, you know, this maybe there's a, a different skill set here where we can kind of like feel the intuition and like, you know, like get a sensitivity of it and, uh, and then like interpret the intuition. Um, that's a different thing like interpreting what this intuition is saying because uh, if you have a certain map of reality that's fixed and then you're thinking your intuition is saying something and it's actually saying something else that could lead you in the wrong direction um, and I noticed in, in, when I was kind of in that more mad state and when I felt kind of untethered from reality all this like connections and intuitive knowingness came online but then I was just like over connecting and it was just not uh um like you know corresponding with reality but luckily I had really good friends that were just calling me out on my shit and I built my truthfulness muscle so I was anchored to telling the truth and I could reason and then you know it's like oh shit they kind of kept me uh sane and kind of tethered to somewhat tethered to reality while still feeling into this all this creative energy and forces so Yeah, there's something about just actually getting sophisticated with feeling the intuition. I imagine some people are just cut off from that in general, but also interpreting it in such a way so you don't overextend what it's saying. Um, And that perhaps are things that traditions are already teaching, some wisdom traditions, or perhaps this is something that we need to uh, discover collectively.
0: Great. Uh, Peter, would you want to speak to Ez's question uh, in the chat? I'm not sure if you said you had the chance to read it, or?
1: Yeah, um, perhaps it's good to summarize for the the recording. Um,
0: Yeah, should I should I read it for you? Yeah, sure. Right, so Ez is saying, Hi, Peter, really appreciate you gracing us with your presence today. It is really lovely to have a cross-pollination of different memes and have been super impressed by the variety of guests on the STOA. Unfortunately, he's without a camera, but he'd like to ask um, that he's, I've been following the STOA since its inception last year, as well as other meetup groups, example, Interintellect, and was curious if you have a personal list or map of other groups or people you'd recommend, um, or people, basically for people to check out if they're interested in these ideas, such as metamorph modernism, or being gray-pilled. More broadly, I've been interested that the meetup groups that have formed during the pandemic are at the confluence of several ideas, such as effective altruism, existential risk, rationality, less wrong, slate star codex, post-rationality, meaningness, meaning crisis, etc. Uh, I was just curious to hear how you saw the development of the STOA and maybe other online discussion groups in terms of these broader movements. And there's a second question asking, I'd also be interested to hear your long-term vision for the STOA and what change you hope it can enact in the world. So do you want to start by addressing how you saw the development of the STOA and other online discussions?
1: Mm -hmm. Um, So there's this article uh, or journal entry I wrote this morning. I haven't posted it yet. Um, It's called uh, ClearNet, Dark Forest, uh, um, DarkNet. And this is the uh, trifecta that I was just introduced with, uh, introduced to the other day. And so the clear net, dark net is sort of like, you know, the clear net is the public internet, the surface internet, where search engines, uh, you know, Twitter, Facebook, uh, YouTube. And the dark net is that that can't be accessed through a search engine or the normal search engine, you have to download a tour. And then it's like, everything's anonymous. And this is where like, you know, terrorists lurk, drug dealers, uh, child pornographers, all this like dark stuff. Um, but then there's this like dark forest thing. Uh, and Yancey Strickler was the first person that put me on this idea, uh, the dark forest theory of the internet, but a lot of other people have been talking about it recently. It's sort of spaces that leverage some of the, the tools that you find on the clear net, but you know, they're not publicly broadcasting stuff, uh, or not always. Um, and they are kind of escaping the the war noise that's happening on the clear net and also kind of like that that club chasing algorithm uh, that happens in the attention economy. Um, and so the Stoa could be seen as like a dark forest part of like this broader phenomenon of people going into the dark forest and kind of cohering and making sense and it's really an amoral thing like it could be like um, bad dark forces and good dark forests and so. I think Stoa was the one of the first places that just really did dark foresting. Maybe I'm just patting myself on the back here, but I think it did it well. Um, And I see other people doing it too. Like, so in this sort of, you know, rebel wisdom, they have uh, uh, their own dark forest inter-intellect, you know, future thinkers has a, has a a smaller one, Um, Justin Murphy's indie thinkers. So there's like, kind of in this space uh yancy strickler himself he has the bento society so in these more kind of niche intellectual spaces which is i think quite small overall i think those are sort of the, the players that are figuring this thing out um and they all have different vibes and different kind of energies about them the thing that the stoa is interesting i think the stoa has probably the greatest meta perspective of the landscape of what's happening um and it's sort of like it's not talking just about metamodernism, it's sort of doing metamodernism in the sense it's fighting all these perspectives in without kind of explicitly with the frame of metamodernism. Um, and one thing that's kind of cool, if you read my white paper on Mimetic tribes, it's like I'm trying to get like most of the memetic tribes in the Stoa, not the ones that would just obviously get like us completely canceled, but sort of like most of the meta tribes engaging. Um, at the stoa and eventually with each other at the stoa that's the movement and the three mimetic tribes uh, that i'm um, kind of drawn to is sort of the meta-modern one the game b one and the uh, post-rat one post-rationalists uh, and the stoa is the first place where all three of those uh, and some people call them like the meta-tribe all three of them are kind of interacting for the first time in one kind of space um, and I'm influenced by all those, and I think they interface with each other quite nicely, actually, which I can probably get into. But that's what I see the, the kind of the landscape of this dark foresting, um, and I see that's how the Stoa fits in it with sort of its meta perspective. Um, and uh, yeah, I can pause there for any comments. But long-term vision, I'll pause there for any comments because uh, uh, it seems like I threw a lot before I go into like the, the future of the Stoa.
0: I just I'd like to dive a lot deeper into these words because right now they're what I assume they might be by by the words themselves I'm trying to trace them back to their roots or ways or context in which they're used but a a question that just popped up um, in my head was do you see them you know for me a lot of these things is where where does it stand politically right because a lot of these things start taking on political tones and start having some kind of political ideas linked to them. Um, I guess, you know, just the formation, I don't know if you think the formation of a group, uh, or people coming together is inherently something political. Um, So I was wondering, do you do you see it kind of explicitly entering the political sphere? Or do you see some some interception with politics? Mm. Um,
1: Yeah, and then I forget sometimes that like I just engage in these jazzy terms and like, Oh yeah, <laughs> people probably don't know what the half <laughs> shit I'm talking about. Uh, but that's, you know, that's what you get when you invite me to anywhere. Uh, and I kind of like leaning into that, to be honest, because it's, um, it's obscure, right? It's abstract. And I want the story to be obscure. I don't want, I don't want everyone here. Um, I want kind of like people that are drawn to the mystery like, what the heck is this all about? And then kind of diving in. And then that's sort of a spin of this great, that, obscure terminology like i can totally cut the epistemic fat and you know what they just kind of like that, that 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 term itself is epistemic fat but i can totally like speak plain language um but i don't because it, it is a good screening mechanism to kind of find the others uh because i don't want too much noise at this place uh to this towards the store too quickly uh which is related to the political question um so in terms of kind of elect politics I'm pretty uh aporic like I don't I don't know like you know um a lot of it's above my pay grade you know I, I don't know what's up um even though on issue base if you ask me a certain issue I can I can kind of say where my at least my temperament lies but when it comes to culture war um, stuff in the culture war battlefronts something that at least in the clear net I'm not going to engage in or if I do I'm going to engage very lightly because this is not what this is about um I'd rather the stoa to be more about a place where we can build capacities to really fucking speak to one another to really engage in, uh, someone else's uh, worldview uh, and understand it. Uh, and people lost that capacity. Um, so yeah, that, that's, that's sort of, and then, you know, like what's your definition of politics? You can kind of extend it to like, just influence and everything's political in a way, but, um, Uh, the way I I sort of like in the colloquial sense is sort of like the STOA is not really engaging in in politics in that regard.
0: That's helpful, thanks Peter. Um, In terms of your so just addressing as a second question in terms of your long-term vision for the STOA unless anyone has any any thoughts jumping out at them. Yeah I think we can move on to the second question in terms of your long-term vision and what change you can hope it would enact on the world.
1: I'm curious if Arabella has any thoughts. I, I'm sensing something over there.
0: Yeah. It all just happened. James private messaged me. Um, I was just noticing. I get super excited by the words "mimetic tribes," and I read your white paper, and I was like, like, <laughs> it's got like a, a exciting quality to it for me. Um, so I'm just wondering if there's anything like that's alive for you in this moment that you, <laughs> when I say the words "mimetic tribe."
1: Yeah, so I'm I'm glad I found at least one person who gets excited by the term as much as I do. <laughs> so that's that's the live. Um, yeah, um, like the thing about mimetic tribes, which is um, perhaps I'll tie it into this this question about the future of the Stoa. And so after the one year anniversary, I wrote this this piece. Um, Maybe I'll, uh, I'll send it on the chat. It's called uh, The Four Attractors of the Stoa. It was it was a longer piece. And it kind of like just this is the, the closest thing to goals or projects that this place has. And I, I had four attractors uh, here. Uh, and I'll tie in the, the kind of the memetic Tribe thing in a moment. But the first tractor is like becoming uh, a life work. Uh, and then I like this this term by Philip Reef. It's like death works. It's the death work is a work of art that undermines the sacred underpinnings of a culture or a society. Um, or, and so if there's death works, then there's life works. So what's life work and a work of art that kind of puts emphasis on the sacred. Um, and to, to kind of lean on Durkheim's notion of the sacred, a sacred is something that it's like a, a ritual or an object or something that brings people together as a unifying effect. Um, and you know, there's so much death works in society because it's just atomizing us. And I like the idea of becoming a life work myself. So just kind of being in uh, the presence, I encourage people towards you know this uh, the sacred to communitas. And I did this example on the uh, that piece, like my encounter with the priest when I got married. Just like being in his presence, just calmed my whole body down because I could tell he was a man of God. Um, so that's the first attractor, just kind of like being art, like you know with my journals or how I show up. I just want to be art. I want my day to be an artwork. Uh, I want my life to be a piece of art um, that is inspiring when in contact with and I want to encourage other people to be life works too because I want to be inspired in the same way and I am by a lot of people who show up in the STOA so I like that and then the second uh, attractor is uh, culture war to culture dance it's transmuting the culture war dynamics to culture a dance so we actually engage in other with other people and then, you know, there's like a, the th- three part type epistemics, like first person epistemics is like know thyself, understand your body, your thoughts and all that stuff. Uh, and then I'll jump to third person epistemics is know the truth, like objective truth. But then second person epistemics is knowing someone else's worldview and being able to articulate it so they fully uh, understand or they fully feel understood. Uh, and then that there's a poverty in that skill set, uh, you know, writ large. And so the stoa and the wisdom gym, I want to be in service of um, building second-person epistemics, building the cap- capacity to really communicate across political divides. Um, and then my dream conversation, which could happen, you know, ContraPoints and Jordan Peterson um, at the STOA. And uh, Jordan Peterson was my former therapist. Uh, I don't i don't know if uh, you know this, he was my therapist for two years before he became famous. I was actually in his office last, last session. And ContraPoints, of course, was at the STOA before. And she actually agreed to have a conversation with Peterson uh, and I'm in correspondence with Peterson. So this could actually like, like happen within a couple of months, ContraPoint and Peterson at the Stoa. And that's going to bring a lot of fucking eyeballs. But I want, uh, you know, to do it right. I do it artistically, uh, beautifully. Um, so that's the second attractor. Uh, and then let's see the third attractor. I'm actually forgetting the third attractor. But that's, that's sort of uh, the relevant piece. Oh yeah, then I'll tie in the mimetic tribe stuff. Is a human mimetic tribe sort of like disembodied you know, they're just focusing on like, you know, John uh, propositional layer, they're just focusing on propositional layers. It's almost like a collective narcissism where they're like getting high and jerking off the memes together, um, but they're not talking with each other. And there's like a disembodied component there. And with the stoa and this transmutation from a culture word, to culture dance, I want the age of embodied tribes to emerge. And I think the this, this stoa is becoming a proto-embodied tribe. But right now, I think it's fair to say. But like kind of really speaking with each other in an embodied sense. So you're really there, not just with your thoughts, but with your heart, with your body. You're all in it, in the relationship, which is, that's communitas for me. Um, yeah.
3: Well, first thing I'll say, Peter, you've taken me from interest in socialism to a big Very interested in the Stoa. But I I had a question kind of referring back to original points, but you did touch on it again. Um, And I hope I don't paraphrase this to the point of siphoning the meaning out of it. But you kind of said that you know, you you use quite a few of these words that you know, be more esoteric type words, and you like the esoteric style because it forces people to sort of engage more, take a deep dive, and force them to really get engaged. Are you not concerned, sort of as a pushback, that if you? you know, keep these esoteric ideas, you almost push away other intellectuals and may have completely different, you know, worldviews, but worldviews that can really add value to the Stoa.
1: Yeah, so um I'm having a lot of conversations with someone like David Fuller from Rebel Wisdom, and he sort of has the opposite tendency where he wants to like tell a story he comes from bbc and all the you know journalism he wants to be very clear with these things and he's working with these esoteric ideas uh, where i just want to be kind of like this weird old hipster and then kind of like you know like find the others um and i'll say two pieces one right now there's no issue with Sto- with people coming to the stoa um I, like i like we got chomsky we got contrapoints with late james cars we have like yeah um people from across the philosophical political divide so there's no issue with people actually come to the stoa and I'm pretty good at like kind of bringing people to this place Uh, but there's a barrier um, of like attracting more people to it to understand what the heck is going on Uh, not only given these esoteric terms but like the anti-marketing strategy and at this point I think it's okay because all these cool people are finding the stoa, And then we're having an opportunity to get like, go deeper in the dark forest. Cause there's like different layers of the dark forest. There's like our recorded events. There's like our, our non-recorded events. And there's just these private groups that are forming. Um, and so we're just like really fucking cool people. It's like such a gift. Like, like my, my network via net playing increased like tenfold from this last year just by doing the stoa. All these people I wouldn't have known existed are in my life now and they're friends and we're talking together. And it's thanks for this beacon of the stoa. That being said though, perhaps it's not the wisest move for the stoa to be this weird and esoteric forever. Maybe it needs to get more mainstream. Maybe it needs to cut the epistemic fat to do greater good. And so I'm open for that that reality uh, and I'll move towards it if it feels right.
3: It's been beautiful,
2: Peter. Um, I feel like I'm seeing you really animated and you're sharing quite quite cutting edge kind of visions for what the Stoa is. Um, for those who are watching or who haven't been to the Stoa, I highly suggest dipping your toes into it. Um, there is every Friday, you've got Rhea Beck who does collective presence and that's just a good place to be I think the reason I suggest that one is because you may think it's just a place full of like intellects who are always talking. But if you go to the rear backs, it's it's a chance for you to participate in something and just be still for a moment and see what emerges and what comes up. And that happens a lot in the Stoa. And I think that is something I want to celebrate as well as the different layers of the dark forest, which, which still exists. Um, The archive, the the only thing I would say is I would love the Stoa to be beautifully archived so people can, so people who are diggers can research into it. Because I think YouTube is not as good as it could be in that regard. So I can see a a future of, maybe I want to say this to you like privately, but I can see a future of um, the Stoa turned into audio clips and put on like a beautiful, radio website or like broadcast on an airwave and people tune into it and they may tune into people circling they may tune into a Daniel Schmarstenberger talk um I, I don't know why I'm doing this when I'm saying tuning <laughs> but yeah I think that's that's my kind of love for the store and seeing the the future of where that could be um, and as um Ezekiel as Z if you would like to share anything more that you'd want to ask Peter we've got just a few minutes because Peter has to go soon um, and we have to wrap it up but please feel free to share in the chat um any thoughts and the visions I just shared Peter would you make it happen
1: yeah um I do like this uh like uh, yeah just I was like putting myself my my own edge of my thinking. So let me just give me a moment. Something alive here. Um, yeah, like I, I'm pretty like well aware of like what I'm good at, what I'm not good at. I'm not good at lots of things. <laughs> and then, but when I get good at something, right, I just like run with it. And like uh, like inviting like I'm good at inviting guests for the store. Um, I'm like, that's pretty much it, I guess. And like good at like creating jazzy names and stuff like that. Um, but I'm not good at video editing. I'm not good at like kind of audio production. I'm not good at any of that. And so I kind of lean into not being good at that. And that's sort of like what you get with the Stoa, this kind of like kind of like more, um, like more punk rock place in contrast, to like some more slick production like Rebel Wisdom. Um, that being said, uh, it would be like I kind of want that too. You know, I want this kind of like uh, uh, just, I remember. I was at the we had this maybe the end of the stoa party which is the one year anniversary and i kind of like i was actually thinking of ending the whole place like a sand mandala just like brushing it away um so i left a lot of people in suspense it was a beautiful party it was like a life work it was just the design mm, chef's kiss and there was one moment i didn't even know all the exercises that were going to be done and then aj bond our, who's our shame educator at the stoa part of one of our coaches um he asked everyone in the chat to put down a favorite memory of the one year of the stoa And then just the chats were just populated with all these beautiful memories of the Stoa, these events, these sessions. I'm like, oh shit, I remember that event. That event was awesome. And it was like all these memories started flooding and the emotions and it was so beautiful. I'm like, I was just like blown away. This much shit happened here in one year. This is crazy. And it'd be good to kind of just get like a, a sense of that for someone who just discovered this place because people discover this place um like Arabella said, she discovered if i think from like a joe edelman event when when he came on um that's that's a weird way to discover it and there's like a lot of like you know onboarding things and they're like okay hey, what is this place it would be good just to get like maybe a snapshot of the, the the beauty of it um that's that's beyond my capacity to do and kind of my interest base to do it too but it'd be good if i could like maybe get some grant and hire someone for like three months to be some kind of a spiritual assistant for this place and do cool stuff like that. That'd be great. Um, And perhaps that will happen, but it's not going to happen anytime soon. I don't think. Oh,
2: that let's just say that that vision is broadcast into the interwebs and other people can reach out to you and add to that piece of the puzzle that you feel Rightfully so, that you may not be able to like add on to. Um, I think, I think actually this circles back all the way back to the intuition piece. And I think it's really powerful for people to say where their limits are, like where their skill set limits are. Because if your daemon is saying, jump off, (laughs) jump off this building and fly, right? And you know you can't fly, it's probably wise to say, that's not my piece. That's not my piece to hold. That's not something for me to do. Um, But a lot of people do do that, do jump off the building and burn out or they, they overstretch themselves. And I really appreciate you setting that boundary because for me being excited saying, oh, this should happen and that should happen. Maybe it should be me who does it and like proposes it to you or someone else should propose it. And I just wanted to highlight that a lot because I think with people who start something up, people always throw demands at them, say, hey, you should do this, you should do that. But just because you're really explicitly achieving in one domain doesn't mean you, you don't need help in other domains. So with that roundabout way of putting it, how do you get help? How does the stower get help? And do you think you there could be better ways that the stower could be helped? Um like the way in which people love the space, how could they contribute a bit better?
1: Mm. Well, there's like, the Stoa is like a beautiful place where collaboration happens because like, you know, um, Raya back um, who reached out to me, her daemon, you know, was inspired by the Stoa right in the beginning. She reached out and I was aware of her work and she was on the bucket list of people I wanted to reach out to. And, you know, we just talked and it's like, boom, collective presencing like almost since like day one of the stoa has been around and like same kind of energy happens with like uh Tyson uh Wagner who had like the our flow guy who did all this freestyle rap for sense making and he was around for since the beginning his session just kind of stopped he might come back later though um and like Steve Beattie who does the the Wim Hof kind of sort of breathing that we have every Sunday the stoic breath it's like I don't even know what's going on. There could be some breath cult happening at the stoa every Sunday right now, but like, (laughs) it's like, they're doing their own thing there. And then like, you know, I'm putting that trust, the glass B game, Lawrence Curry Clark and his crew. Uh, So there's a lot of these reoccurring events that has their own energy, has their own kind of culture within the Stoa. Um, And I lend out the Stoa to people whose kind of discernment that I kind of like intuitively trust to have series here, like uh, Aaron and Alyssa, kind of our shadow, shadow workers, they have a shadow play series. They had an excellent one. They're having another one. Um, so the, like a big chunk of the ideas that happen at the store are not my own. Um, they're thanks to just sort of like people trusting their daemon and sort of reaching out in a way that sort of is right. And then it just connects with me and then something happens. Um, so that could just go on right now and definitely maybe. And then that could be just cool. Um, I'm worried about scripts that demand scale like like oh the store has to be a place that scales gets bigger like you know perhaps revolution or even bigger this or that it's like there's a desire and tendency and a lot of pressure to put on the store like oh this has to be a panacea whatever but i like the idea of it being just this weirdo place it's an incubator for ideas um and so there's like a course that's coming, I'm going to call it experiences, because I don't like the idea of a course, but like have stoic experiences. And these experiences could branch off to becoming its own business entity that's, you know, financially viable. Uh, and so one I'm thinking right now is having sort of a mastermind accountability thing for one month, where we just intensely do things and keep each other accountable, like that friendship of virtue things, that will be a stoic experience, but that could branch off to its own kind of business thing um so i like that approach right now uh and i don't want to put the pressure on the, the stoa um, but i say if you're drawn to this place and you feel like your gift is compatible with it then perhaps um you know find a way to get involved and i don't want to make it easy to find a way either just sort of like, <laughs> you, know, like you know find a way to find a way that thing
3: And I know we're short on time, but um, one final question, Peter, in the, in the essence of circles that Jamie brought out, you began the session with the introduction saying, in the beginning of your professional career, you didn't really have much, you didn't feel like you had much meaning or purpose in what you're doing, you didn't find satisfaction. And you've definitely alluded to this throughout the session today, but would you say you've found meaning through the store or any capacity?
1: Yeah, yeah, totally um yeah i felt like really alive when it first started like the first three months i felt like so alive like i found my thing and i kind of wrote a few journals where it's like when i first met my wife um you know it's like we've been together for 12 years now married for about two and a half and um i was 23 when i met her she was 18 or when we started dating i should say um 23 she was 18 and there's other women before her but none I really came alive for and then I just came alive for her and then and like I'm a type of guy when I do something I do it right and so boom you know we were in a relationship uh it was rocky at the, the beginning but we we made it through and, and now we're married and um and that kind of like I equate that sense of aliveness that I had with my wife it was sort of like with the stoa it's like like something came alive with the stoa for me like in terms, in terms like vocation or dharma or ikigai or like something that this is I'm meant to do. Um, I'm not attached to that theory, but I'm just describing that sense uh, of meaningfulness that emerged and perhaps the stoa might disappear within a year uh, and then, but something new will emerge from it. But I do know the, um, what I learned from doing this place and the experiences I had, the fucking beautiful people I met was a, a real gift and I did feel like I was giving my gift. Um, the little gift that I have in this little tiny circle of confidence that I do have with this space. Um, and when people reach out to me, and it says it's like it changed their life or it was like it impacted them or it gave them hope, existential hope. I'm like, wow, really? Like I'm almost getting teary I just thinking about this. I'm like, really? Like, um, I'm just like, I don't know, this ridiculous guy following his daemon on, online. And then it's like influencing people in a positive way. That's really fucking beautiful um so to answer your question i would just say (laughs) yeah
3: (laughs) well that is lovely to hear
2: i think this is a good place to wrap it up unless people have any urging burning questions um so if nobody does have any questions sim i'd love for you to give us a moment of silence and we can sign out and let us Get on with our evenings and our days thank you peter Lindberg for being here really 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 appreciated your energy it was a gift, on top of a gift on top of a gift on top of a gift
0: all right yeah i completely echo that thanks for lending your presence peter um if we can just finish off with a moment of silence um and in our usual way we could unmute if you feel comfortable doing so so we can engage with our surroundings, the noises in our surroundings, uh, to feel more present with each other. And I'll bring you back in a minute. Thank you.
4: I'll